Good morning. I'm not sure what kind of summer this has been for you, but boy, things have been unexpected. I mean, who would think that we'd be having a hurricane? But what really was unexpected for me was at the beginning of the summer, my dad, who grew up in Kansas, joined the Navy, ended up in Groton, spent 20 years in the Navy, 20 years at General Dynamics, and then has been a part of the local body of Christ in this area. He's given his heart and soul. He decided that the five acres and two-bedroom house was too much, and he wanted to make a move. So me and my sisters kind of looked around, and he called up his brother in Kansas, and within about five minutes, him and his brother decided that he, at 93, would move back to Kansas. I mean, I did not expect that this summer. But that's why two weeks ago, I was in a U-Haul with my dad for three days, pulling his pickup truck behind the U-Haul. And I wasn't at 62 expecting to have a road trip with my dad, who's 93, but it was great because those were hours that I got to spend with my dad. And at 93, I mean, who knows? He could last another 10, 20 years, but, but I got to tell him how much I appreciated him in his example of how when my mom was alive, how he served her, loved her, cared for her, and how he cared for me and my three sisters. And it was a wonderful time to be able to have that with my dad. And Jesus is telling a story in Luke 15 about a dad who has two sons who goes through some stuff as well with his kids. And that's what I want to talk about today. But before we get into that story, I got a couple questions for you. How would you feel if someone you didn't know very well, you just met, they came up and asked you, what is your IQ? And then they continued on to looking you up and down saying, hmm, how often do you work out? And then they continue past that if that hadn't been rude enough, and they say, what is your credit score? Or if they really wanted to be audacious, they say, what did you make last year? Wouldn't you be hurt and offended by that kind of judgment? They think these things are important and they're judging you? I mean, some of you just might blow your top. <laughs> Who knows? But Jesus had critics. And he knew what was in their hearts. He could see the hearts of these critics, these religious leaders and teachers of the law. But what mattered to them was doing good, and most importantly, looking good. And he had something to say to them in the story about what was in their hearts. Because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law they were wrong about the tax collectors and sinners. The sinners and tax collectors, they were coming because they wanted to hear Jesus. The religious leaders came because they wanted to catch Jesus in a mistake. They, the religious leaders, they saw people who they judged as beneath them, not worth their time, not people they would care to know. And Jesus wanted to get through to them. So in 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7, we see that the 
prophet Samuel, he's looking for a king, and he's impressed by David's older, taller, good-looking brother. And in 1 Samuel it says, when they arrive, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. When they arrive, Samuel was really impressed with David's older brother. Tall, good-looking, had lots of charisma. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance, his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord sees you. The Lord knows you. The Lord can see into your heart, and he knows what's happening. Just like the Lord could see through Eliab, and he knew that he wasn't the right person to lead Israel, his younger brother David would. Now, Jesus is going to radically change how people see God the Father in sin in one simple story. This parable is so much more than a story about what makes a person good and bad. And a lot of people out there that kind of hear this story, they think it's a moral story about good boy turns bad boy, comes back to the family, repents, and becomes a good boy again. There's so much more to the story than that. We need to be retelling ourselves the story. Everyone thinks they know about the prodigal son story, but it's not mainly a Cinderella story with a wicked stepbrother mocking and resenting his younger brother or getting mad at his enabling father and then storming out in protest because he let this no good younger brother come back into the family after having cost them so much. The moral of the story isn't be nice to your father and mother, work hard and make them proud. And so many times, that's what church seems to be to some people. It's a place where you go, you learn how to work hard and do nice things so that your parents will be proud of you. We need to start with retelling the story to ourselves because our hearts are corrupted in ways unique to ourselves and we have a very difficult time seeing our particular brand of heart corruption. There's so many times I have not been aware of what's really going on in my heart. How about you? Are there times where you've been surprised at what's in there? It should come as no surprise to be told that your heart is deceitful. Every self-aware alcoholic knows that they are often in denial about what they really want most. Until they can confront the reality that what they really want more than their marriage, their kids' affection, their jobs, and even their life is alcohol, they haven't owned up to the real problem. But our real problem can also be about not knowing about what's in our heart and what our heart desire is Maybe you don't have a problem with alcohol or drugs, but we need to look in the same way at how we might be in denial. This parable is really about a God gone bad, or maybe a God gone soft, at least to those Jesus was trying to shock into reality out of their denial that good people 
are the problem. And you say, good people are the problem? Because they are the ones denying the truth. The truth was standing in front of these religious leaders and they couldn't see him. God saw their hearts, but they couldn't see the heart of Christ, the heart of Jesus. And they were turning away. They were thinking, if Jesus, if he was God, something has gone totally wrong. He didn't fit their paradigm. Tim Keller in The Prodigal God says, Jesus uses the younger and older brother to portray the two basic ways people try to find happiness and fulfillment. The way of moral conformity and the way of self-discovery. Each acts as a lens coloring how you will see all of life or as a paradigm shaping your understanding of everything. Each is a way of finding personal significance and worth, of addressing the ills of the world, and of determining right from wrong. And I know for myself that personal significance and worth, growing up in Ledger, I struggled as a teenager to understand who I was, where I was going, what I wanted. And in the two sons that we see that Jesus is speaking about, one son lived by the motto, motto, do your duty. The other son lived by the motto, follow your desire. I sometimes struggle with shame when I come back to Ledger, Connecticut. When I drive around, I'm reminded of how much I hurt my family and disappointed my friends in my time of self-discovery. I can drive around and see the places where I wrecked my dad's car. Right up here where the stop and shop parking lot is, that used to be a movie theater. And I was 15, hanging out with an 18-year-old who drove a neat little 56 Chevy pickup truck. And we'd go to that drive-in theater when it showed the triple X movies, the porn on the big screen. And we'd each get a six pack and watch and I was ashamed of that. I didn't want anybody to know that as a 15-year-old, that's how I spent my weekends. And then I also had friends that I would go out and smoke pot and pop pills and hang out with them. And I was spending all my money I made at the gas station on drugs. So when Christmas rolled around, what I decided to do was just shoplift at Caldor's that was a store down here and other places to get Christmas gifts. And I got caught. The detective in the store caught me and they called the Groton cops. And my dad had to come pick me up and he started asking me about what other things I had stolen. And I had to admit to him that that gold pen and pencil set that I'd given to him for Christmas, I'd stolen from the pharmacy in Gales Ferry. And that the other gifts that I'd given my sisters and my mom had also been stolen, shoplifted. And I was ashamed of myself, even in my drug addiction and my desire to find myself, that self-discovery. But I couldn't change, I couldn't stop. Now this isn't just about lost sons. We gotta watch out for the danger of misreading the story in other ways. 
We, the church, have misread the story because it makes religious people look bad. We have a hard time seeing ourselves in this story. Tim Keller again says, there are many people today who have abandoned any kind of religious faith because they see clearly that the major religions are simply full of elder brothers. They come to the conclusion that religion is one of the greatest sources of misery and strife in the world. Maybe you have thought that. But Keller goes on, he says, and guess what? Jesus says through this parable, they're right. The anger and superiority of elder brothers all growing out of insecurity, fear, and inner emptiness can create a huge body of guilt-ridden, fear-ridden, spiritually blind people, which is one of the greatest sources of social injustice, war, and violence. The problem with good moral people is that their sin is on the inside, where it's easily hidden from themselves and others. This is the problem of our elder brother. This is the problem he has that Jesus is pointing out in this parable. He can easily see the outrageous things his little brother has done, but is blind to how outrageous it is for him to be resentful towards his kind and forgiving father. He makes his dad the bad guy, just like because my dad tried to keep me from doing what I wanted, my self-discovery, I made my dad the bad guy. I made the Groton cops the bad guy. I made the detective that caught me shoplifting the bad guy because I didn't want to look at the corrupted heart and how I was hurting myself, but more importantly, hurting my family. And eventually, life got out of control and I overdosed. And I could see my mom crying as, as Dr. Plankale came over to check me out to see how I was doing, to see what the drugs were doing to me because I was just simply out of my mind in drug-induced schizophrenia. And within 48 hours, I was at his mansion and my parents would come visit me on the weekends and I could see still how worried my mom was because she knew his mansion was a good program, but would it change me? Would it bring back that good little boy that she knew when I was younger? We need to make sure that we don't make the people that are trying to help us into the bad guy. But it also went through a time of elder brother anger because I struggled with not knowing if I was good enough. I went to a ministry, I did well, I got promoted. I even spent four years in the New Hampshire State Legislature because I was concerned about pro-life issues. And my life seemed to be blessed by my Father in heaven. But around 40 years old, it got harder I didn't seem to be able to keep up. People younger than me were passing me by. I hit this plateau and I became bitter at God, saying, God, I thought you were gonna bless my life and other younger people, they're smarter, they're stronger, and they seem to be more worthy and people are looking at them instead of looking at me. 
And just like the elder brother, I became bitter at my younger brothers because our hearts can be corrupted in many ways. And I had fallen into the motto of do your duty. And I thought if I just did my duty, that blessings would come and life would be easy. And when I hit some hard patches in my life and ministry, I became like the elder brother, wanting to stay away from the father, wanting to be bitter. But unlike the elder brother, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Dave, you know, you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Don't turn away. Come back in. The family's having a party. You can be included. And God worked through the residents of his mansion that I was trying to reach out to, praying with them, caused me to see how wrong I was, even though it had been four and a half decades since I slipped into self-discovery and went off into drug addiction. I had become addicted to finding worth in what I do instead of finding worth in the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you find worth by worshiping here on Sunday morning because it's worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ that we find our meaning and purpose in life because he is the center of all things. He is the one who will give us the joy and satisfaction if we would just come in out of the cold and re reunite ourselves with him. And I don't know what you're going through in your family, at work, maybe even your ministry, but if you felt like you've been left out in the cold, hear the voice of the Father. Come back in. God wants to continue to be with you first and foremost, but also to continue to use you. And we need to be seeing the story through our Father's eyes. Tim Keller writes, we must learn how to repent of the sin under all our other sins and under all our righteousness, the sin of seeking to be our own saviors and Lord. We must admit that we have put our ultimate hope and trust in things other than God, and that in both our wrongdoing and rightdoing, we've been seeking to get around God or get control of God in order to get hold of those things. And I wanted to be a better preacher, a better counselor, but underneath that, I wanted respect. I wanted to have people pay me a little bit more because if you get paid more, you're worth more. And I began to see people that were paid more and began to see that I wanted money and ministry because I thought I deserved it. But I was trying to control God by doing my duty, just like the older brother. The father knows you. The father sees you. The father knows you and can see through the way you want to do life your own way. And maybe you're pretty good. You don't hurt anybody. You contribute to your church you contribute to your family, but you've gotten caught up in just doing your duty. 
Or maybe you're like the younger brother. You're out in self-discovery trying to find yourself. But whatever it is, you've been trying to do life your way. And your Father God has been out of the picture. His ultimate question for you is this. Do you trust me? Do you trust me to save you? Or do you want to try to save yourself? And so many times I've tried to save myself, read more, pray more, witness more, become better and better and better. And that's when I become bitter because it's my effort. It has to be God working through me and the power of the gospel working through me because when it becomes about me, it ceases to be about God lavishing his love on me and me being able to pour it out on those that need, not me, but they need to know the love of God through me. Both brothers were ungodly, but only one brother knew his particular brand of heart corruption. God sees through us, but he is not looking at how smart, physically fit, or rich we are. He sees our imperfection, and he has mercy on our imperfect heart. Brother and sister in Christ, if you are consumed with guilt, if you can see all your imperfections, if you have come to a place of feeling worthless because your heart is imperfect, Jesus came for those who had corrupted hearts. Jesus came for those who needed a Savior. In Romans 4, 5, it says, However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. It's seeing the Father and what the Father has done by loving us and sending the Son and having faith. That is the credit. It's not our credit score, but it's the credit. Jesus Christ has paid it all and his righteousness is credited to us so that me, we might know the righteousness of Christ in us. Who are the ungodly? We are. Both brothers wandered away from the father, but one did it by leaving home. The other did it by staying independent, trusting himself to make himself happy instead of joining, joining in the family's happiness. If you feel away from God, if your life with God seems to be duty, or if you're wandering, chasing after desires, I invite you back into the family. I invite you back into the joy that happens here every Sunday morning. I invite you back into the small groups where people who are broken and hurting find love and comfort and care. I invite you back to get reacquainted with Jesus. Because he doesn't judge you on your way out the door, and he won't judge you on the way back in the door. This parable 
is really about how father and the oldest son, the Alpha and Omega, team up to rescue all who will see their heart's corruption and their need for grace. And when I wandered off from the Lord and broke my mom's heart and caused my dad to be bitterly disappointed, all I had to do to come back in was to say, I was wrong. And they brought me back in and they gave me grace. And how much more my Heavenly Father has given me grace when I played the older brother or younger brother. Jesus is always there reaching out saying, I don't care if you're dirty. I don't care if your heart is corrupted. Come back into the family. I want to enjoy you. It's not about what we have done or the good we have done, but it's all about trusting in what Jesus has done for us. We only come back to the Father if we know we need him. And when I was strung out, stealing, breaking the trust of my parents and my church and my school and society, I came to a place to know I needed him. But when I was the older brother trying to do the duty to get the job done and became bitter, my heart was also made aware through the love of Christ and my brothers and sisters in Christ that I was in need. And I needed a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, 24 through 26, it says, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. Bring you back to the place where your father is, where you feel at home. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you. If you need cleansing, if you've been struggling with addiction or struggling with pride and bitterness against God, he will cleanse you from your, impur in your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And both times when I played the younger brother and the older brother, he lifted my head and I could see his eyes. And I could see that even though I had hung my head in shame, that his eyes had always been the same, full of compassion, full of care, and full of the Father's love for me. And this is what Jesus wants you to do if you're feeling distant this morning. Jesus wants to lift your head so you can see the great love the Father and Son have for you. Who we miss in this story is the real elder brother, Jesus. Without him, both brothers are lost sons. Unless you are given a new heart, cleansed by the blood of Christ, you are not yet in the family. But today you can seek the Father's heart by loving his Son and become born again and be adopted into the family of God. Brothers and sisters, 
are those who want to become sons and daughters of God. Could you pray with me? Father, I don't know who's listening, who's hearing this message, but if there's a lost son or daughter, either younger or older, that they would hear the music, hear the celebration, come look in the window, and come back into the heart of worship. Father, if there's anyone that isn't born again who's listening, I pray that they would know that Jesus doesn't judge them. He wants to cleanse them. Jesus doesn't reject them. He has died on the cross so the Father could accept them as his son and daughter. So, Father, I pray that your message of peace, peace with God through reconciliation with Christ, would be known and would be accepted. And, Father, I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.